Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. Nice to stop and have a chat with you, actually, at what is Mosen Consulting's busiest time of year. There is a lot going on. We're getting ready for iOS 11 without the eyes release, which we anticipate will probably be about the 18th of September, but we will confirm that. I know there's a lot of interest in iOS 11 without the eye, our comprehensive book, on iOS 11 from a blindness perspective, we'll go into all the nooks and crannies of voiceover, of course, but we'd also look at all of the features in iOS 11 and how they work with voiceover. There's a lot to say, actually. When we started putting this book together, I wasn't sure how much there would be to say, but actually it's our longest book in this iOS Without the Eye series ever. We're coming in at just under 40,000 words, and by the time we release the second edition which will have information about the new iPhones in particular, the one that we think is going to be called the iPhone edition that has no home button and no touch ID and all sorts of things like that, I'm sure we will crack well over 40,000 words. And don't worry, if you purchase the first edition, then you get the second edition absolutely free the moment it's available. The best way to keep appraised of when this book hits the virtual Mosin Consulting shelves is to subscribe to our announcements list or to follow us on Twitter. You can get all of the information about that at mosin.org and we'll also be keeping the webpage mosin.org slash iOS 11 up to date. That's mosin.org slash iOS 11. And it's a busy time for the blind side as well. It's the 6th of September as we publish this edition of the podcast, episode 51. And that means that early voting has now opened for telephone dictation voters. If you haven't registered for telephone dictation voting, you can go ahead still and do that right until just before election day. You can catch up with Melissa Thorpe in episode 50 of the podcast from the Electoral Commission who gave us all the skinny on that. So it's not too late to register. And if you really are brave enough to think that there are going to be no more twists and turns in this extraordinary election campaign that we have here in New Zealand that will influence your vote, If you're a diehard partisan and you know which way you're going to go, well, you can vote right now as of today. As long as you're registered, just dial that number, 0800 028 028. Now, we're going to be speaking with Marama Fox from the Māori Party in just a moment as our series, we thought, concludes on the election. It turns out, though, that I have just heard from Nikki Wagner's office. You remember we had Nikki on the podcast last year. She is the current Minister for Disability Issues. And we extended an invitation quite a long time ago to all of the disability spokespeople from the parties. And we said, look, come on the blind side, have a chat with us. And Nikki's people just got back to us and said, yes, she will do this. Now, because early voting is open, I want to get that podcast to you as soon as it's recorded. At this stage, it looks like we're going to be recording that podcast on Monday, the 11th of September, and I hope to have the podcast published by the end of that day to give New Zealanders who are using these podcasts as some sort of guide to assist them in determining how to cast their votes the maximum amount of time to digest this information given that early voting is open. But then... We are going to move on to something of undisputed international significance and something that's always very popular on the blind side. Are we going to be covering the Apple event next week, the 12th of September US time? You betcha, like the sun's going to come up in the morning. At least we hope the sun's going to come up in the morning. (laughs) We will be there covering the Apple event. It promises to be one of the most 
exceptionally exciting Apple hardware events that there has been in quite some time. We expect to see a 4K Apple TV. Maybe they will have some other features of interest to those of us who are blind and don't really care about the 4K. Of course, a lot of us do have children or sighted significant others who like the 4K, so it's not of complete disinterest to us. We're thinking that we're going to get a new Apple Watch, which is going to have LTE built in. That's a very significant development for the Apple Watch because it represents a departure from this concept of tethering your Apple Watch to the iPhone. It's going to gain its independence with this particular model. And we, of course, expect to see three new iPhones And the nomenclature for those iPhones is under dispute. For a long time, it was assumed that we were going to have a 7S and a 7S Plus and a very radically different 10th anniversary iPhone called the iPhone 8. Recently, I am seeing rumors from fairly credible sources that suggest that the phones are going to be the iPhone 8, the iPhone 8 Plus, and iPhone Edition. That's the real expensive one <laughs> with the radical redesign. And rumors are that's coming in at 64, 256, and 512 gig capacities. That's the iPhone Edition. So we'll just have to see how it goes down. The people who know for sure ain't saying. But they will be saying a lot. The first ever Apple event to take place at the new Apple Park campus, the Steve Jobs Theater, the Steve Jobs Auditorium, And that event can be streamed live at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Tuesday the 12th of September. You can go to the website and you can check out the Apple Events page there. You can also get the Apple Events app for your Apple TV. Now, what we're doing is the usual thing that we do after an Apple event. We've got a panel of experts to dissect it and look at it specifically from a blind person's perspective. Once again, we're going to be joined by Apple ambassador, Apple podcast extraordinaire, Apple enthusiast, David Woodbridge. And he's also accompanied this time by Alison Hartley, who makes appearances on the Tech Doctor blog and podcast. And of course, What is pretty cool about the way that we do this is that we always get Heidi Mosen into the studio. Heidi having a blind dad and also being a geek herself, loving all this Apple stuff. She knows what blind people look for and are interested in. And there are a lot of slides that go by that aren't talked about on stage. Heidi will be describing in great detail these slides. She'll also be describing the hardware so you can get a a concept of what the hardware is like. And we will be talking about these events. So you really will, even if you do watch the event live, you will come away with information that you were not able to obtain from the event because we'll give you the audio description of the slides, the audio description of the material. It's all going to be there on the Blindside podcast episode 53, we expect it to be, because we'll have Nikki Wagner, the Minister for Disability Issues, earlier that week and the Blindside 53 very soon after the Apple event. We're going to treat it as live and then we're going to publish it so that you can hear it. Now, if all goes well and if I can get an iPhone edition or whatever it is called in my hands on release day which we expect will be the 22nd of September 
we'll do the unboxing. Because the cool thing is that the 22nd of September comes to New Zealand before it comes pretty much anywhere else. So if I can get in that queue and uh, order the machine and get it here, then I'll be one of the first in the world to have one. And you will be one of the first in the world to hear an unboxing because we'll also rush that Blindside episode 54 out the door. And there are lots more great things coming up on the blind side. So thank you for sticking with us. It is a remarkably busy time of year. It's time to hear from this week's featured guest on the blind side. Our series on the general election continues where we're talking with a range of representatives from political parties on disability issues. And I'm joined by Māori Party co-leader Marama Fox, and she's driving to the big smoke as we speak. So welcome, Marama. It's great to have you here. Kia ora. Just uh, so all the listeners know and understand, I, I am hands-free on speakerphone. No, so see, you will yeah. hear a bit of background noise. Right. I mean, the last thing you need is a scandal at election time, right? So you're not oh. holding, you're not <laughs> holding the phone. Yeah. <laughs> to add to all the other scandals that are going on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a fascinating political time. You know, when Tariana Turia was in your place as co-leader, she was the disability uh, issues minister for a while, and even before that, when she was a Labour MP. I spoke with her and she really seemed to believe that there was an affinity between Māori and people with disabilities generally. I guess because we're all striving for tino rangatiratanga, you know, and we're all trying to uh, take greater control of our lives. Do you feel that too? Do you think there's a sort of a natural affinity there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's only very obvious. I think the values of manaakitanga, the values of... Um, uh, artify and looking after people start with dignity and respect. And I'm adamant that if we all use the dignity and respect to address people and to uh, interact with people, then uh, then we wouldn't be in some of the mess that we're in uh, across the nation today. And that goes for people with disabilities, uh, people who are homeless, people who are beneficiaries, people who are migrants. Uh, everybody deserves our respect. People t- say now that people have to earn your respect. I think that's wrong. I think you start from a place of respect. You start from a place of dignity and you treat everybody uh, the same. One of the things I'm curious about is the cultural differences that we need to keep in mind when we look at the way that disability services are delivered to Māori because I think, you know, it's a more collective kind of culture and you've got to get the whānau involved and I think what has typically happened in the past is that, you know, whānau like to look after people in need. It's kind of just a natural inclination and yet there is this quest this concept of independence that disabled people have where they wanted to be able to do things for themselves so there's probably a different approach that's required do you think um yeah of course there is a, a cultural um aspect towards how we treat and look after our own but i mean even the government doesn't recognize that if you have whānau members who are your caregivers, then, um, you know, they don't they don't get treated the same way. All of a sudden, they're looking at them sideways thinking, oh, you're just trying to um, scam the system uh, for the benefit of your whānau, which makes no sense at all. Uh, so here I was um, trying to help a young man who has been evicted from his house. He was um, paraplegic from a car accident for the last 12 years, and he has been evicted from a purpose-built 
state housing facility, so it was an apartment block, uh, that had, you know, push-button doors and widened doorways, everything right for him. But he kept getting into um, arguments with the landlord, who was a housing New Zealand landlord, uh, because they didn't do simple things like uh, let him know when the lawnmower man was coming around because he had a, a head injury and he had a routine of when he slept and when he didn't. And the lawnmower man, without, you know, letting anybody know, would come around in the middle of that and end up in an argument. And so uh, when I went to see Housing New Zealand in respect to this guy to try and advocate on his behalf, here they were trying to in, um, indicate that, oh, he's just trying to move his family in. I'm like, Are you, why? Because they're his caregivers? My goodness. You know, the thing is, is that we, we need to have um, different responses for people with cultural differences. So, in fact, I understand what you mean by having independence. This young man is now in a social housing um, home that has been built specifically for people in wheelchairs. Uh, he has flat um, surface in and out of all doors uh, and his family have an apartment above his independent living space downstairs so that they can be there on call when they need him and there are different times when they do when he does need them, but also so he can have his independence to live his life. Uh, we got him involved with Whānau Water, and so they've been working on his aspirations back into training and really set up well. But in the interim, which, which annoys me most, this is more about housing New Zealand than it is about disabilities, but they put him in a home that only had one ramp in, uh, and no secondary regress in case there was a fire. So I went down to have a look and they said, yes, there is, yes, there is, there's a door. And when I got there, there was a door to a deck that had a one metre drop and no other ramp off. And I said, well, what does he do when he gets here? Toss himself off and, and haul himself away by his hands. And it's just ridiculous. They said, no, no, we've provided him a... Um, fire blanket and an extinguisher. I mean, it's just appalling. So you we feel like they're ticking the boxes, essentially, just just doing, oh. yeah. yeah. I mean, but uh, to, to tell someone it's okay in the event of a fire, you can cover yourself in this fire blanket and poke your head out or your hand out with a little fire extinguisher and hopefully save yourself. That is ridiculous. And so, yes, we do have cultural differences, but we must challenge the state when they do things wrong. I suppose one of the frustrations is that a number of people really like you personally. You know, you've brought a lot of character to Parliament, but for the last nine years, the Māori Party has been a support party to the national-led government. I just wonder how much traction you feel you've been able to have on issues like this. I know the argument was it's better to be around the table than, than just sort of backing away in opposition, but... Are you really able to make any inroads on these sorts of attitudinal problems? Well, I mean, you tell me. Have a look at what Tariana was able to do. Her and Pete had done way more than I had. And as the Minister of Disabilities, uh, she really got some traction about enabling um, good lives and ensuring that people were treated with respect and dignity. But then, you know, the ball rolls on and it goes into the hands of somebody else. And, uh, and it doesn't even matter who those people are if they don't have the same commitment and oversight or if they have a, suffer from a little bit of tunnel vision sometimes and we're going to deal with this and just this, then, um, then you sort of have to go back to square one and start battling again. So it does feel a little bit like that up and down. But 
guaranteed there's no battle if you sit in opposition. I don't get to walk into the minister's office and sit down and have these conversation conversations if I sit in opposition. So I was able to work with um, Nikki Wagner. She, despite not being a minister, she um, invited me onto the Ministerial Committee for Disabilities, which involves a number of other ministers, so we can talk about housing issues and so on, and we can have those conversations. They may not always agree with me, but if I was sitting in opposition, I wouldn't even be able to have that conversation. So, no, I do think there is um, the... Uh, the better road is to be around the table because we can push, we can make decisions, we can um, influence where we can. We don't win all the battles, but we certainly do win some. And so if we look at um, deaf uh, sign language uh, for uh, people who are hard of hearing or people who uh, have no hearing uh, in Māori sign language, we're able to say, well, we actually need to reset the Māori sign because uh, just making up a, an action um, that is sort of a literal translation of the word, actually doesn't uh, display the real intent. So the the word for koha, uh, the sign for koha, was to put your hand in your pocket and throw something down and pretend like you're throwing something down on the ground or, you know, that type of action. And But that's not what koha is. And if you go back to the intent of the word, um, it's about being supportive. And it had, used to have nothing to do with money. It was about giving what you're able to um, help others and to um, provide for uh, your needs. And so I think, uh, you know, having that conversation, we were able to get around the table with the very few uh, people, Māori people, who have... Um, a sign, Māori sign capability, New Zealand sign capability, and a trilingual, basically. So we need to improve that and being able to talk with the minister to do things like that. Um, I would never have been able to do that if I'd been in opposition. Do you have a view on audio description at all? Because I know that there is some audio description available on TV1 and 2 at the moment, which gives blind people additional narration to do with programs that can be quite visual. Um, but I don't think there's any audio description on Māori television at the moment, for example, and it might be appropriate to have some audio description in, in Te Reo at some point. Absolutely agree with you on that. And that goes back to the funding issue. So... Uh, TVNZ is, is the nation's broadcaster, but actually Māori Television is another of our nation's broadcasters and they need to be adequately funded to ensure that they can do things like that um, and provide extra support for um, our Fano Kapo and our Fano Turi. Uh, so those things absolutely need to be improved, and I think that would be a fantastic budget for next year when we're back in government to ensure that Māori Television have the necessary um, resources to put those sorts of things in place. You mentioned Fano Order earlier, and this really interests me because there has been a little bit of discussion in recent times in the Herald about the fact that in deaf organisations, they raised it, that the number of people in senior management roles in deaf organisations who are actually deaf is quite small. And I think their argument was that it was declining. Certainly in the Blind Foundation, and I'm, I'm familiar with what goes on in the blind community being blind myself, the number of senior managers who are blind in that organisation, in the Blind Foundation, has really sharply declined over the last 20 years. 
The idea of whānau ora then, the idea that maybe you could apply that in a disability context where you essentially say, look, if there is a bi-disabled, for-disabled organisation out there, we would give that priority. We would we would be more willing to fund that than an organisation that doesn't walk the talk and employ people with disabilities at senior management level. Do you think that's a viable way forward? Absolutely, I do. In fact, I've met an organisation that is exactly that um, in Auckland, and they are struggling to find the, remember the name, um, but they are a Māori organisation. Everyone in the organisation who represents the voice of uh, those different um, uh, disabilities, uh, like Fano Kapo, Fano Turi, Fano Turu, uh, oh, sorry, so uh, wheelchair, deaf, and blind, are all represented by people who are. Uh, who have those disabilities and understand what that feels like and looks like. And so I, I thought that that was phenomenal. But then they lost funding uh, through um, Fano Water. And I thought, well, what the heck is going on here? Surely they should be the priority. Uh, so I challenged uh, our commissioning agent over that. And I think uh, we should be pushing always for people who represent uh, those who they uh, who also have that disability should be the ones to speak. And, and Dr. Huhanahiki is uh, a friend of mine, and uh, I take her advice on these things constantly. Uh, and so I think it was a fun of way order, way order. Uh, it's gone off the top of my head at the moment. But they're a phenomenal organisation who do just that, and we need to see more of it across um, the spectrum of all of these organisations. What can we as people with disabilities learn from Maridom? It just seems to me we could learn an awful lot because it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, you'll remember it. I remember it very well. When National Party would often have, when they were in government, would often have Pākehā ministers of Māori affairs. I mean, that would be absolutely unconscionable now. You wouldn't have a male as a minister of women's affairs. And yet we have never had a minister of disability issues with a significant disability. We only have one person in the whole of parliament with a significant disability. What can we do to become uh, more in control of public policy? Um, I absolutely agree that we need to stand up, put more people with disabilities up into um, the voting arena uh, so that they can stand for these parties, get them in and give them the role. I mean, phenomenally, it was Tariana uh, who advocated for um, our UN representative for disabilities who had come from a place of disabilities to be there and to hear him speak is just phenomenal uh, and so inspiring. And you don't think it will be at the beginning, I'm just going to say, because um, he struggles to articulate some words, but you put that aside and start to listen and, oh, my gosh, nothing but inspirational. On a world stage, we need to do that on a local stage, and I think that's exactly what Māori do and Tariana recognised it. That's why she put him up. Uh, and also in government, if um, we want to be properly representative of the people, then we need to have more people with disabilities in our government. Is the Māori Party any, uh, doing anything to facilitate that, do you have any kind of uh, program to encourage candidates to come forward who have a disability? We don't. Um, you know, we should, but we don't at the moment. Uh, at the moment, we struggle to to put people in all the general seats, and 
and get uh, our machinery together. I mean, we really are the party of two at the moment, uh, well supported by um, a wonderful staff in our office, but a very small staff, and well supported by the people who are most passionate about the Māori Party. But in order to grow so that we can be truly representative and reflect um, the diversity of our nation, uh, including with people with disabilities, we really need to get our numbers up. And people uh, need to have a little bit of faith that we can be the party that can do this. And because we believe in those things, we need to have uh, the machinery behind us to make those things happen. The um, the force in the middle of government to ensure that we can push uh, this government or any government of the future and hold them to account for the decisions that they make and influence them more strongly. To have 15 seats in Parliament as a Māori Party would be phenomenal because we would really be able to assert some influence and dominance and be reflective of our community, get a machine behind us and make sure that we are including our whānau with disabilities. Now, there are many whānau in our party with disabilities, but sadly yet none of them have um, stood. Yeah, I'm thinking about the Green Party, and they might not be the best model to quote right now, um, given given their current polling, but who knows? They could be up at 40% in two weeks' time, given this crazy election, so I don't know. All right. But, <laughs> but the Green Party is an interesting case in point, because clearly they were founded with an environmental focus, and they also have embraced social justice and poverty issues that perhaps extend beyond their initial environmental brief. I wonder if the Māori Party might uh, have a, a way of growing in that way as well, that obviously the, the party was formed out of concern over the foreshore and seabed legislation, but you may well have an appeal beyond Māoridom, that you're people who feel disenfranchised, underrepresented, perhaps that people are having a say, an undue say, over their lives. So uh, Māoridom and disability may well fit together very interestingly in some sort of coalition. Absolutely agree about that. I mean, the Māori Dim and the Greens. Māori and the Greens probably have the closest um, policies, policy platform uh, than any of the other parties in government at the moment. But uh, I agree with you. I mean, we have been growing. Tariana, the Minister, Associate Minister of Housing, Minister of Tobacco Control, Minister of um, Disabilities, Minister of Whānau Water, we've already grown our policy platform wider uh, to ensure that those who are disenfranchised can have a voice. And we've now taken on board the One Pacific uh, Whānau uh, because they they came to us and said that we feel like we have a natural home with, uh, with the Māori Party to represent our independent voice. We've had enough of being with anybody else. It is time for us to um, stand on our own two feet. We've done that also with um, Witex, our our Asian um, our Asian uh, member, her candidate, who's standing on behalf of the Māori Party because actually migrants in this country have been getting a pretty hard time. And it doesn't matter that the majority of migrants are European and uh, from – oh, sorry, that's me. I've just pulled up into a garage. No um, problem. That's my seatbelt coming off. Uh, but so migrants have a pretty hard time in being used as a scapegoat. And despite the fact that the majority of migrants in this country are European, the ones who get the brunt of our ire seem to be um, uh, Asian. 
and that's completely unfair. So they've found a, a natural home with us to represent them as a group of people who feel disenfranchised. Now, I think that will continue to grow. I do believe that in some point in the future, we may be the party of choice for this nation. But right now, at the last election, we sat on 1.3%. We need to grow that. We need to show that we can uh, deliver good public policy for all of the nation and be um, continually mindful of those groups that are marginalised in our society. Yeah, I wonder whether it's people just with a political science background like me who care about this stuff now. But I guess when the, <laughs> when, when the Māori Party was formed, I, I, I figured that it was more or less on the left of the spectrum and your affinity with the Greens would seem to uh, confirm that. And then, of course, you've been uh, in a supply and confidence arrangement with National for the last three terms. Where do you feel you sit on the spectrum in the, in the political sense? Um, look. I think we're probably more left-leaning. Uh, I think, though, that we're very pragmatic and we uh, have gone from being a party of protest to a party of progress and we want to just get on and get things done to improve the lives of our whanau. So uh, we'll work with whoever is the government. And we, if we are in a position where we get to uh, choose the government by being the king or queen maker, uh, then I'm, we go back to our membership. And our membership tell us who they prefer to go to. I want to talk about social welfare, if I could, because that's a really big issue in the disability sector. Do you believe that there is a place for an inquiry that looks at the difference between the way that disabled people are treated who were blinded as a result or disabled as a result of an accident versus somebody who was congenitally disabled or became disabled as a result of the medical condition because it's a very different process and the ACC process seems a lot more generous. Um, well, I think what what I would say is that we need to be led uh, by our disabilities community. I mean, this is new to me to, to think that people who have become disabled because of an accident might be um, better treated or less uh, well treated than those who were congenitally disabled. So I think it, we'd be led by the disabled community. If the disabled community feel that that is warranted, that an inquiry is warranted, then we'd fully support that. Yeah, the Woodhouse Commission a long time ago now recommended that this be fixed, but it has never been fixed, I guess because there's a huge disparity there. The funding would be enormous to sort of bring up congenitally disabled people or medically disabled people to the same standard that ACC recipients now get. So it is one of those glaring anomalies that's been around for a long, long time. Well, then obviously it needs to be rectified. I think that uh, what I see is that there is not enough money um, being given to disabled people, people who um, have, uh, you know, who live on an invalid's benefit, for example, have to keep going back to justify it. I'm like, well, what? All of a sudden, my, um, I've gone, I've had a miracle cure and I'm no longer paraplegic. <laughs> yeah, it's just all of a sudden I've had a miracle cure, and oh look, I can see, and the blind man yeah. can see, and the lame man can walk. Yeah. I mean, why? It just makes no sense. Uh, I think if you are in have an invalid's benefit for um, for issues that are going to be issues for life, then you shouldn't have to go back and justify that again and again and again. And if you have um, a housing. If you're in state housing because of that, that needs to be modified uh, for you, then I absolutely believe we should have homes for life. 
uh, housing for life. I mean, if you, you have to have a modified home because of your disability, if you want to stay there for your lifetime until such time you can manage to get out of there, maybe, uh, then it should be for life. Nobody should have to keep going back and um, proving to the government that, yes, I'm still paraplegic, uh, yes, I'm still blind, and yes, therefore, I still need this house, and yes, therefore, I still need this invalid's benefit. I mean, it's ridiculousness, and there are some basic things in the system that could be changed. One of the things that's also just considered the the way it is these days, and it wasn't always, but since I guess nineteen eighty four, is that you're either on welfare or you not or you're not. Welfare is sort of considered a, a temporary measure. But if you are trying to go out to work and you have a disability, there are some ongoing costs of being disabled that mean that the money that you take home every week from your job is less because you've had to spend some of it on just the costs of your disability. Do you think there's a place for some sort of universal payments that compensates for those costs even if you're working? Absolutely. I mean, all of those things should be taken into consideration. Uh, I mean, I met, a, I met a man who is in a wheelchair from an accident, been in that wheelchair for over 25 years now. And in Auckland, he um, he got an IRR, uh, an income-related rent subsidy. He qualified for that because uh, of, because of his disability. Now, that meant his rent went down to about $60 a week. Which meant, which recognised that the rest of the putia that he got would then be able to be used uh, for the additional costs that he would have to bear. Now he comes to Masterton, where there is no special social housing provider um, uh, who has the status to be able to. Uh, um, uh, uh, give him an IRR, and so he goes into a home and has to pay market rent on that house. And then that social housing provider uh, gets the status required by the government to be able to apply IRR, but he can't give it to him because he's already there. In order for him to qualify for it, he has to leave that home for three months, go and live on somebody's ca- couch, and you can imagine what that looks like when you're um, a complete, I think he's quadriplegic but anyway mm. and uh, and then come back to the house three months later and then he would qualify it makes no sense there should be uh, you know sort of like students who get course related costs people who have a, a disability that requires extra attention and and will do forever should have should have that recognized um, in their allowance and one way of doing that was the IRR which took away the rent cost or, you know, the exorbitant rent costs and allowed people to use that extra money to uh, be able to purchase and and, um, get the support that they need because of their specific uh, disability. So absolutely agree that the whole thing needs an overhaul, whether you uh, apply for the invalid's benefit every year, you have to prove that you're still um, debilitated, you have to prove that uh, you still need this house with the extra ramps and so on. I mean, it's just ridiculousness. We need to have some common sense um, brought into some of these policies. Can I just finally ask you about disability discrimination legislation and legislation that facilitates access? How do you think we're doing in terms of combating discrimination and the inaccessible environment in New Zealand? Uh, I don't think it's top of people's minds. If I'm honest, I don't think it's top of people's minds when somebody's building a new building. 
when somebody is, um, uh, I don't know, just setting up the television station like Māori TV, like now that they're established, how many years later is it time now to be able to resource them, to be able to provide uh, the extra support for um, people with disability and blind, as, as you said before? I mean, we don't think about it at the outset. We think about it later when after we've established things. And I think you're absolutely right about that. It should be inclusive from the get-go, and it simply is not. There has been a view that we need to advance a kind of an accessibility legislation. So take uh, out disability from human rights and advance this idea of a of an accessibility law that requires New Zealand to be a more accessible place. I think their idea is by 2030, sort of phasing it in, giving businesses the opportunity to adapt. It would have employment quotas and a whole bunch of things like that. Is that something that you would look favourably on? Absolutely. I think that's probably the best way to go. I mean, we we see and recognise that in Māori dim, we have to force legislation that make people do things because if we left it up to the goodwill of the general public, it will never happen. <laughs> well, I mean, it slowly happens, but that's the slow boat. We need things to be uh, happening now. Uh, so we absolutely believe that there are some pathways where people do need to be bonded. I mean, that's the difference between this uh, national government uh, they like to keep things free and a little bit liberal and open market and let the let you know the population decide. Uh, well, actually, sometimes we need to be um, bonded to a certain pathway so for the betterment of our country. Uh, case in point, tobacco legislation or um, tobacco control legislation. So uh, they are a little bit less willing to do that. Uh, they want, want to take things slowly and carefully because it might disrupt the vote and the popularity. Uh, we're a little more, bit more risky, but we've got less to risk, I guess, when you sit as a small support partner. You can pretty much jump up and down about all sorts of things. But I think you're right. I think that New Zealand needs to be bonded into a pathway of realisation so that when they go to build a home, uh, if they're a social housing provider, they need to make sure that it has... Um, uh, accessibility uh, pathways, but also uh, across the spectrum uh, to ensure that people, like you say, have uh, have the ability to employ people with disabilities and so on and so on and so on. Thanks to Madame Fox for joining us, the only leader or co-leader to join us from a political party in this series. So I really appreciate that and glad that she was able to squeeze us in as she was driving from one political engagement to another. No matter what your political persuasion, hopefully you can appreciate, and I guess as somebody who's stood for Parliament myself a couple of times, I certainly do, that this is a very busy time and you're just constantly on show, constantly trying to explain stuff. It is a heck of a drag race between now and the election. So we appreciate Madame Fox giving us some time. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.